Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of Clicker Training for Your Horse and other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. When I say that this is a podcast about all things equine, I should add, with a little dog training thrown in, especially this week, because we're joined by Hannah Brannigan. So welcome to you both. Many of you will already be familiar with Hannah's work. She's a member of the Clicker Expo faculty, and she also has a very popular podcast. It's called Drinking from the Toilet. If you love training, you should definitely subscribe to it. Hannah is both a professional dog trainer and a horse owner. So when we're talking with her, it's easy to make the connections back and forth between training dogs and training horses. Her obsession with good balance rivals my own. So whenever we get together, we always have a great time talking about training. In last week's podcast, we were just getting warmed up. Hannah was talking about the changes she saw over time in her terrier rugby. He started out with short, choppy movement. In horse terms, think about a pony with those quick sewing machine gates that are so hard to ride. Through training, her terrier learned to collect and float over the ground. Somebody watching commented that he looked more like her Belgian shepherds than a terrier. And that really got a wow from from Hannah, and also a wow from me when she told us that. Hannah was talking about her dog's structure, and she left us with this cliffhanger. She said, in the past, we would have had no expectation that we can change an animal's structure. But obviously, we can. So let's pick up the threads of that conversation and find out what she means by that very provocative statement. What you're describing is what we want, whether it's a dog or a horse, it's all so similar. It really is. I mean, honestly, a lot of what gave me like the courage to keep trying was what I saw, I saw you present and talk about, and I want to, I'm trying to remember that the, the horse was the name Crackers. That could be totally off base. Could be crackers, crack because he was an uh, Appaloosa. Yes, 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 yes. And, yes. and you showed like a before, and he looked like nothing in particular, right? He looked like a horse that could be in my backyard. But then when you showed the after and the movement you were able to get from him was really inspiring. I was like, okay, well, I've totally seen that before horse, like not that horse personally, but I have right, seen, right. yeah, and I have ridden that horse, and I know what that feels like, and it's not terribly comfortable. My old 4-H history would have said, well, that's because of this horse's structure. Right. And we would have right. written him off. And we might have done some things with some side reins and you know that sort of thing. But we would have no real expectation of changing that. Absolutely correct. But yeah, obviously we can. Yeah, isn't that neat? Yeah. So we've done it once. I've now done it once. And I know you've done it more than once. <laughs> but that just, how many more things have we been giving away that we could actually make an impact on if we didn't just write it off to some set characteristic and I just I think we're going to keep finding that there are more and more things that once we once we kind of crack the code we're going to be able to access 
And in terms of motivation, certainly, I know, Alex, you keep saying that one of the reasons why we should care about attaining this kind of balance is to ensure longevity and health in the senior years of the horse, too. And for sure, I have seen the long-lasting effect of good balance on horses because when I was at Cavalia, I was head of the retirement center, and so I saw the trick-riding horses, the dressage horses, the jumping horses. I saw all of them coming to the retirement. And as we all know, the dressage riders are usually more in tune, more... Um, aware of balance because it's at the core of this discipline. And sure enough, the dressage horses, first of all, they lasted longer in the show. And when they were retired, they were, they looked good for a long, long time, even in their old age. So, and I've seen this on many, many horses. So the longevity and the, the years uh, at the end of their lives is cer certainly benefit from this kind of work. And I think, Anna, you may, you, I don't know if you've seen that too in, your, in dogs. Yeah, I, I have a very small sample size in my house because I only have, you can only have so many dogs. Well, I'm pushing the limit, but anyways. Um. <laughs> yeah, five, five is a pretty good sample. <laughs> But I, I mean, I do find that, so I, I, the, the sport that I primarily compete in, which is obedience, I think has a lot of parallels with dressage in that there's, it, it, it's because of the precision elements, again, it, it makes me think about and be very aware of, of the balance of collection, being able to move smoothly between extension and collection and to, to do those things efficiently and to do them with a big dog in a small space means a lot of body awareness and a lot of um, a lot of my awareness of my body and how my body's interacting with his and you know all of that stuff but I, I do it is kind of interesting that I frequently get comments from my vets and from other people who visit like other dog people not just not just random strangers but um, other trainers and, and, and dog enthusiasts how fit my older dogs are so I have right now sleep on my floor I have a 15 and a half year old, a 13 year old, and I think Spark is nine, almost 10. And all of them could easily be mistaken for dogs years younger. My, my oldest, 15 and a half, can still go up and down stairs by herself. She looks like a, a nine or 10 year old dog. Uh, my, my nine, nine, or I want to say, I need to do the math, but she's my almost 10 year old dog is, can still jump full height um, comfortably and again runs around like she's five. And my, 13 year old I haven't actually asked him to jump full height in a while because I don't have a need to but he can get off I can tell you from this morning he can get up and down off the off my bed with no problem unassisted which are all fairly unusual for very large working breed dogs in this age range so I, I don't have a lot to compare it to I know that the dog I grew up with was a golden retriever it was just a pet dog and I don't remember I mean, he didn't have any particular training. What training he did have was very, very hit or miss and not very organized and with not a lot of goals other than to be not annoying. So just your typical pet dog. And he was decrepit by nine. And I have, I have a dog that's actively competing at the same age that that dog was on anti-inflammatory medications for chronic arthritis. So there's a lot of variables. And I know that training isn't the only one, but it does make me think about how those variables might be playing together yes definitely if well done 
because you can also, if you don't know what you're doing, you can also damage an animal's body. So where does one start? How do you know that what you're trying to accomplish is good for the animal? I mean, dressage, I know, is this, I mean, we all know it's very complicated. It takes years and years and years to master this discipline. And so where does the regular horse owner start? How do you know, again, what the components are? How do you know that you're looking at good balance? What, what would be, how did you start with your dog? Or Hannah, you've got a puppy now. I do. So, yeah. So, and, and your puppy is a border collie? He is a border my, collie. He is a, the complete yeah. opposite of my terrier in, yes. in every way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. But we're, so there's um, puppies, young animals are, make the perfect subject for talking about where do you start because you truly are starting. Mm-hmm. They're starting their whole life. So where where are you beginning as you are putting this dog on the path of beautiful balance? So that's actually a really interesting question. It's something I was thinking about, not, not in context of this conversation, but it's something I've been thinking about, obviously, for the last three weeks. What I am currently emphasizing is actually that sort of mental psychological balance as a means to access his physical balance. Yes. And so what does that look like? So, so yeah. So what I'm thinking in terms of, do I have a way to reinforce you? So building reinforcement strategies, procedures that are going to make it easier to train physical balance in a, in a, little, a little later. Right now he's, he's so floppy. Like he's such a floppy baby. He's every day we wake up and one of his legs is like four inches longer than the others. <laughs> Um, so how, so let, let's start with the, so, so we can mm-hmm. all visualize this. So yeah. how old is your puppy? He is at the time of this recording, 12 weeks. So he's in. And you got him. How old was he when you got uh, him? He was just over eight weeks. Okay. So I'm not and, a month. And, and his name is? Figment. Figment. Mm-hmm. Yes. And his markings, what, is, what does he look like? He is a blue merle. So he is, oh. yeah. So he is a, a sort of freckly dilute black uh, with white got a lot of chrome it's got a lot of white oh oh pretty very pretty he is okay yeah and so he's 12 weeks old now Mm -hmm. and he's going through various growth spurts he has just entered probably the the most awkward growth phase um, for most dogs 12 to 16 weeks is not a terribly attractive age for for young dogs most of the time so he's all legs and ears and tail and just has like a, a little round jelly bean body yep and, and so and so every day he has to figure out a whole new body. Every day he has to figure out he you know he falls on his face, he rolls around, his legs are just salt. There's no bones there. He's just all like one big gumby, floppy puppy. So he'll try to go downstairs and just roll over his like literally do a somersault. He'll try to go upstairs and forget the guy's back legs and you know just... He sounds just he sounds just like the baby goats yes. that, that that I had this this spring. <laughs> so much it's you know, one of one of the things you hear is that different breeds might require different schedule of more physical work. I've heard, for instance, that quarter horses will be can be started earlier than the Spanish horses. You know, some breeders I know in Europe, they don't really start real work before five, six years old on their Spanish horses because they're not fully developed yet. 
And they feel that if they, they started too early, they would actually again damage the horse's body. So possibly same thing for the dogs. Yeah, I would think definitely an individual, uh, so, so different breeds as a whole will mature at different rates. Um, and then of course, different individuals within that breed are going to mature at different rates. And the boys tend to mature a little more slowly than the girls in general. There's always exceptions. So I, I, I tend to take kind of an individual approach. This is, this is the dog that I have. This is the individual that I have, and this is what this individual needs in this moment. When would you feel at what age would you feel you can really, I'm sure you can do a lot of prep mm -hmm. work and we can get back to that, but when do you feel you could really start doing some real physical activity with the dog like this yeah, one? Yeah. So the general, the general guidelines are, are around two years old. Yeah, Two years that's old. when they usually expect the you know, the growth plates to be closed. But you'll be starting to do little things before oh, that. Be, yes, because yes. you have. Yes. Yeah. What would you do? So, so right now we're building. Most of our training sessions are built around developing reinforcement strategies, reinforcement procedures that we can use so that uh, and have on cue. So if I click, the food can appear in this particular way. Um, we also use toys and access to other high-frequency um, things in the environment that he would like, you know, that I know he would like to get access to. And then, you know, can I get essentially stimulus control over these sniffing, sn yeah, sniffing things, going outside, playing with other dogs. Hmm. Meeting their favorite pe her yeah, favorite greeting, people. Greeting. Is it a she or it's a, it's a, a boy? boy. Yes. He's a boy. Yeah, so so being able to toss a treat and he understands the toss treat to toss versus to toss a treat, a treat, eat it and then come back, which I find really important. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, that's handy. Um, yep. And uh, and then also, can I deliver having a calm way, based, so stationing, and can I hand you the food, and we keep we keep the energy level fairly low, keep the arousal level low. Can I also? Mm throw food and have you run and get it. So more exciting. If I have food on my body, can you wait until the click or the marker for that food to be presented versus throwing yourself at me and trying to access it through brute force? Right. Which is enough of a problem with a 50 pound dog. Of course, it becomes much bigger problem, exponentially bigger problem with larger animals. So those core foundation skills. So that's a, so. There's another interesting question. Mm -hmm. So with the horses, I have these very clear six foundation lessons. There's the um, the targeting. The grown-ups are talking. Please don't interrupt. Meaning, can you stay next to me quietly? Mm -hmm. There's head lowering, backing, the happy faces, which is in horses, the ears forward, and standing on a mat. I think I got all six, I, and and that's a real core repertoire that helps that just lays the foundation truly for or they create the building blocks that let you build many 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 complex behaviors using those yes and within those six foundation behaviors you can absolutely teach the reinforcement strategies because mm -hmm. that's all part of it so are there in in your foundation and and we talked about this in the podcast that in your podcast drinking from the toilet that where i was the guest mm -hmm. we talked about oh we're not really sure that the word foundation because people what people <laughs> visualize when you say foundation yeah but yeah yeah that that conversation so as you're thinking about i'm going to spiral out and spiral up and from this what sits in that core foundation Really, honestly, it's this very equivalent behaviors, I think. Um, 
I'm looking for, and I, so I'm looking for much of the same behaviors. I want a couple of different forms of targeting. I want him to be able to nose target. I want him to be able to paw target. I want him to be able to station. I want him to be able to switch between types of reinforcement. So switch between, say, a treat from my hand versus uh, throwing a toy or tugging on a toy. And I want him to be able to smoothly move between those skills. So can we go from stationing on a mat to something more exciting with more movement back to stationing on the mat? back to more exciting, more movement, back to stationing on the mat. Because I think one of the, one of the problems that I run into in, in dog training, in all, of, in all of the sports that I've ever played with and watched, is there are a lot of places where we have to get, we have to have that kind of similar transition from a lot of arousal, a lot of excitement, a lot of movement to a lot of control. And then back yes. to arousal, excitement, and movement, and then back to control. So it, this is like, I think, kind of a small version of what will later become very similar to can we move from fast extended pace to to a, a more controlled collected and then back to fast and extended and then controlled and collected and before i can ask for that in the context of an exercise i want to make sure that can you even do station on a mat and then run after a treat that i throw and then come back and station on a mat like that takes a lot more I, mean, I think it's kind of, I think it's similar mental processes. It gives us a way to communicate later on when I want to refine that kind of same kind of process to a more, a more precise and more formal, more formal behavior. I totally agree. Totally agree. And, and, and that's actually one of the functions of the mat is to allow you to set up those, you know, for every exercise you teach, there's an opposite exercise. Exactly. You must teach to keep things in balance. Or I think it's Kay Lawrence who gets the credit for the the path between excitement and calm needs to be well traveled. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. Wow. So I'm I'm setting trying to build build those little kind of lily pads of of behaviors so that we can then play frog or hop between so that he can find his way across all of those paths. And then that's hopefully, hopefully going to allow me to build more complex behaviors six months from now. And as I'm visualizing this, I am imagining that this puppy, that Figment doesn't even realize he's having a formal lesson. No. That for him, this is just playing and learning about the world and, and having a good time. Yes. Yes. Well, but these, these skills are being built within that format of it's a puppy and we're playing. Yes. Yes. It's little, little things just as we go through his day, we'll take a moment and, you know, we already have to go outside. We may as well incorporate a little bit of this as we're moving from inside the house to outside the house. Yes. And that gives me, I get to double count it because it is both helping me lay down these little foundation behaviors. And it is also I'm, I'm going ahead and training them in the context in which I'm, I'm going to need them on a daily basis because we only, for all, for all that I have been talking about performance, we, we're in the ring for two minutes at a time versus living in my house 24 hours a day. I need, I need good companions who are fun and safe and easy to live with who then can also turn on and be really high performance competitors. The total you know, two minutes, a couple times a weekend, maybe one weekend a month that we're actually competing. Right. So I'm curious, what do you teach them when you teach them to switch be between type of reinforcements? What, what do I teach them? Yeah. How do you do that to, to for them to learn to go one, from one type of reinforcement yeah, to another? So, and it's something I've been working on with my horses actually as well, especially after listening to you guys talking about the, the training with grass. 
which was well timed um, mm. this season. But it was kind of a similar thing, at least is the way that I think about it. So it is it is very common for the dogs to have a really strong preference. So we'll just talk about in general, like food versus versus toys. And it could be a particular mm-hmm. toy or a particular type of toy play, but I think it's it it uh, amounts to the same thing. There are dogs. Most dogs, I think, come preferring to eat food, and then we have to develop toy or play as uh, as something that we can use functionally as a reinforcer. So there's some there's some cultivation that has to happen there. This puppy, on the other hand, came with a really powerful sort of he he's very easily stimulated by chasey sort of situation so like a moving toy or moving cat or moving chicken or moving car get him very very excited and that's that he's a he's he's a a border collie collie, right this is kind of a kind of a classic border collie sort of scenario and Mm -hmm. it actually took him a couple of days to eat food for me with any kind of reliability which is again sort of one of those things that makes your chest kind of freeze up but but we're working through that and and it's a really common pattern to even as you are conditioning whichever whichever your dog's preference is. So for, for most, for most, for most folks, that's going to be trying to cultivate and condition the toy play. And that was, that was the case like for rugby, my terrier, we took a, a solid year to teach him to play tug with me with any kind of reliability and to play with toys. And now we're good and we can use it in most situations, but then what will happen? So I, I'm, I'm sure there are people now who are going, but tell us, tell us how you did it. So how do you get, yeah, how do you yeah. get a dog that doesn't want to eat or a horse that is not strongly wanting to take treats or, or the dog that doesn't want to play with toys. Yeah, um, I treated it like any other behavior, and I approached it from it um, from an angle of fluency. So yeah, so I tried to find what is the situation where he is taking treats, and if that means it's in my house, then we'll, we'll start there. And then I got that on cue, which for my purposes is a click. So if I click, I present food, he eats the food. I made sure I had that behavior fluent. I had a point of success, and then I started to generalize it and so I would take him outside and and if I presented food and he didn't show interest then I would not click I wouldn't give the cue to eat food if he wasn't gonna eat food but I would try to adjust the circumstances maybe moving you know closer to the car or moving away from distractions maybe waiting a little bit and when he started I'm trying to think of how to describe this effectively on audio but when he would seem more relaxed you know I he would he would look to the food and then I would present the food again is he taking the food great now I can click and offer the food and you know it seems like just just like any other behavior I'm, I'm giving the cue in the form of a click and then I present the food and he takes the food and then I added you know gradually added more exciting circumstances I generalize that I try to take him a lot I try to take him somewhere every day and go through the same same thing starting first in the car will you take food in the car yes great will you take food just standing outside of the car yes great what about if we take you know three steps away from the car can you still take food and always kind of checking on him and of course if at any point during that session i click and he doesn't immediately head snap around and take the food from my hand i need to back up a step just like i would if i gave any other cue and i didn't get the behavior i would need to so it's a great indicator of where where he is emotionally yes it's very diagnostic yes yeah yeah which i have always thought is one of the huge advantages that those of us who use food in our training have because it gives us such an early indicator that oh something needs to change here because our learner is uncertain right right it's we i have lost what is should be my strongest foundation behavior which is eating food um, yes. So if, if that behavior has disappeared, I need to change something to get that behavior back. I yep. need to go back to wherever yep. that behavior was. That's a great way of phrasing yeah. it. Yeah. 
Yeah. So yeah, so that was, um, and I would do the same thing with with play, just you know, for my other dogs, where the play was the the first behavior, or sorry, where the play was the behavior in question. And yeah, so and you know, we'll still disappear, but it will it will come back. And one of the scenarios where we will lose that reinforcement behavior, eating food or playing with a toy, is when the all other reinforcement op- option has become available. So if I have been playing with a toy then he is much less likely to then take food from my hand. So once the toy has come out, his interest in food tends to fall off a cliff. With my other dogs and most and most of the teams that I work with as an instructor, it's the reverse. I'm doing fine, we can get the toy play, but as soon as food becomes part of the picture, the interest in the toy falls apart. I've had the same thing happen with my horses with grass, whereas as soon as grass became available, their interest in responding to the click and the hay pellets from my hand became zero. Right. <laughs> so... What I had to do was set up situations where I could get a little bit of play and then immediately switch back to clicking and treating. And I set that up using station. So the station behavior is heavily, heavily, heavily associated with food reinforcement. And then if I start him off on his station and I'm click and treat, click and treat, click and treat, he's taking food. This is a point of success. Fantastic. And then I'll give him a cue to start to chase the toy. I present the toy. And we play with the toy just for a second. And then I step back over to his station. We get on the station and I click and treat the station. And it is not uncommon, I have a video of this too, for him to spit out that first treat. And so then I wait. And as I see him come down a little bit, oh, that's right, I'm on my station. Boom. And now we're eating food again. And so I make sure we have the food eating behavior really, really solid. And then great. Now we can transition back over into more exciting play behavior again just for like a second and then back to the station. And then can we do it for two seconds and then back to the station? So finding that balance, finding that balance point between this, uh, the food reinforcement and the play reinforcement, finding the balance between the calm um, stationary behavior and the more exciting moving, moving behavior. And eventually I'd like to be able to, to switch freely between those. But right now I'm using that station as like an, an anchor point so that then I can gradually build more arousing behaviors and then always return back to that anchor point. Yeah, and having, having that, that calm base position, boy, is that golden. Yes. And, and I think the, the horses that I've seen where people have really built a super solid Grand Prix level stationing behavior. <laughs> Life just becomes so much easier in all aspects. And it enhances their training whenever they start to move on into more advanced performance work. But the the one of the horses that pops instantly to mind was a an Icelandic stallion who had a gorgeous grown-ups are talking. And when you folded your arms, that horse stopped and went into this lovely I'm looking straight ahead and I'm and I'm still in my body and he w- he was at a clinic and young stallion in a strange setting mayors around and he's wanting to explore and call to the other horses and let everybody know we was there and we can all picture the this little bit of of chaos at the end of a lead rope and anytime his handler folded into grown-ups instantly the feet were still and they'd walk a little bit and he, the horse would would start to go into stallion mode. He'd fold into grown-ups and he got stillness. And it allowed him to manage his horse in a difficult situation. It was really pretty. Yeah. Really pretty. But there was a very deep positive history oh, totally, around that behavior. Totally. But building that. And that's, that's what Hannah is doing with this puppy is you're building that depth of reinforcement history mm-hmm. into the stillness. 
Yeah. You know, what, one thing sometimes we feel as horse owners compared to dog owners, with our dogs, we have, we feel like we have all these possibilities, squeaky toys, this other kind of store of toy, a variety of food. So there's a lot of different reinforcers you can use. And with the horses, sometimes we think, okay, what do I have? And, and even also with the dog, you can toss the treat, you can, do, you, you can deliver the treats in so many different ways. And that every, all of that has an influence. But with the horses, sometimes we feel I have, okay, carrots, hay pellet, and the grass. And toys, not so much. But one thing that opens up a whole other possibility of reinforcers is when you realize that behaviors can reinforce other behaviors. Yes. I think that that makes for more richness in reinforcement possibility. Dominique, great minds and all that, because I was going to ask Hannah essentially the same question that with the dogs, there's this rich variety of reinforcers that you can use. And we hear over and over again how important reinforcement variety can be in the training. So you also have horses. What can we do to, to enrich the, uh, so it's not just, yes, I'm feeding you, it may be a carrot or maybe hay stretcher pellet, but how do we, how do we expand our reinforcers? What a great place to end. We've just asked an important question. Reinforcement variety really does enhance your training. And with dogs, it's so easy. You have both a wide variety of food treats that they enjoy, plus there are all the toys and other play activities. And you can always give them a good cuddle. There are a lot of dogs that really enjoy that. So what can we learn from the dogs? What can we take away from dog training that will help our horses? We'll leave that as this week's cliffhanger and let Hannah answer that question next week in part three of our conversation together. So thank you, Hannah. I'm really enjoying this conversation. And, and now, Dominique, why don't you jump in with this week's announcements? We have some webinars coming up that I know you want to talk about. We have two webinars coming up. July 29th, 2018 at 1.30 Eastern Time will be our second webinar with Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz. The first one gave us so much to chew over. One of the big take-home for me was the notion of emotionality. Jesus made a distinction between emotions and emotional responses. Emotions are private and cannot be measured. Emotional responses, on the other hand, are observable, and it is useful for us to notice them and take them into account during our training. Emotional responses are physiological reactions like pupils dilating, the hair rising on the back of a dog, panting. These emotional responses are captured in our training. So whatever they are, they will be repeated if you recreate the same conditions. Jesus called these responses emotionality, and he encouraged us to be aware of the kind of emotionality that we produce in our training because we do have some control over it. 
During the webinar, he gave an example of a trainer who wanted a dog to perform a behavior in a very energetic way. And so he trained that dog in places where he would get very excited. This excitability was captured in the training. In this case, it was intentional. But we should also be careful about producing unwanted or over-emotionality because they too will be embedded in the behavior we are training. This was only one of the great insights Jesus gave us during that last webinar. That webinar was so good that we decided to offer the second webinar with Jesus on July 29th. If you want to access the recording of the first one, we are making it available. This way, even if you did not attend the first time, you can still have access to all the amazing content that was discussed. It isn't a prerequisite to have attended the first webinar to sign up for this second one, but it will help to be familiar with what we talked about. If you wish to purchase access to the recording of the June 30th webinar, the first one, please email Alex at Kurlanda at Christney.org. That's K-U-R-L-A-N-D-A at C-R-I-S-N-Y dot org. If you're in your car right now, you can find this information on our website in the webinar section. Click the More Information button and you will find Alex's email to buy the recording. Our other webinar will be with none other than Ken Ramirez. That one will be on August 18th, 2018. One last thing about the webinars. The value you will get out of these events does not come entirely from the guest speakers, although they are quite amazing. One of the big perks is the quality of the participants. I commented on this at the beginning of the webinar with Jesus in June. I was so impressed by the people attending. There was so much experience around the table and that made for really interesting comments and questions in the chat throughout the webinar. This is why Alex and I decided to create a forum for the webinar participants. We knew there would be insightful conversations going on for weeks after the webinar. We're building a really interesting community here. This is a group of people who are supportive of each other in their learning journey. I really think it adds a lot of value to the webinars. So we hope you'll join us for these two upcoming events. To register, visit our website at equiosity.com. See you next week.